0: Good afternoon and welcome to another spectacular episode of How Betty Davis Saved My Life, Life Lessons from Classic Hollywood. I'm Moya. And I'm Georgia. And we are so happy to be with you today, getting into this, the hottest days of the summer. But I am here for it. I like I prefer the summer, and I Texas, but I prefer the summer over the winter. Georgia, what what's uh which season do you prefer? Do you have a preference? My favorite,
1: hands down, no contest, is the fall. I love yeah.
0: autumn. Yeah, yeah, especially if you're in certain parts of uh, the world, or uh, even in the states. Um, then you get to see all the seasons. Jer- New Jersey, you know, everybody clowns New Jersey for several things, but New Jersey is absolutely beautiful in the fall.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. To, to be in the uh, New England in the fall, oh, I never get tired of it. It is such a treasure and a treat. You know, to see all those trees and those blazing colors, it's yes. lovely. And the crisp... Cool air. Love it, love it. I have to confess, summer is my least favorite time of
0: Uh (laughs) year. You ain't probably the rest of the free world (laughs) who experienced a true summer, especially here in in the great state of Texas. (laughs) So you ain't by yourself, sister. Um, But that is not a segue to this, to what our movie today at all. Um, I just never knew what Georgia's favorite. season was and and it's hot as Hades uh, <laughs> it's hot as heck but I love the summer but again that's not a segue Georgia what is our movie today <laughs> we
1: are doing the producers which was released in 1968 this is the original movie that spawned a later remake and also the big Broadway play, but we are doing the original. And this was a very groundbreaking movie. This was Mel Brooks's very first movie. It has his stamp all over it. And of course it's an uproarious hoot. And it's a play within a movie. And this movie won an Academy Award for Mel Brooks for best original screenplay. Mm -hmm. And also... Uh, Best Supporting Actor nomination for Gene Wilder.
0: Oh wow! I'm surprised. Yes. Uh, the the co-star Zero Mostel, he should have gotten some. He, no, everybody was pitch perfect in this movie. We'll we'll get into that, but everyone should have been nominated, in my opinion.
1: Well, Zero Mostel was. I agree with you, Moya. He was sensational in this role. Yeah. uh you know he'd done uh, fiddler on the roof on broadway and he mm-hmm. did the movie a funny thing happened on the way to the forum the guy was absolutely an amazing actor yeah, and yeah. yeah but the combination of the two playing off each other because they were such opposites but like you said we'll get into that later
0: right um well for the few people georgia now not included who had not seen the producers. <laughs> so Georgia, tell me, because you're a producer virgin, the producer virgin, virgin, if you will. <laughs> you tell me, because oh, I hadn't seen it. I'm like, I was a reborn virgin, if you will, because I hadn't seen him. Oh, my gosh. In maybe 20-something years, it had been a, mo- uh, a minute. So Georgia, tell me, come on, give it to me. What did you think? Give it to us. What did you think? Oh, my gosh. But she, I thought, you know... For the people who
1: first saw this in the 60s, this must have been so uh, controversial at the time that it came out because it was breaking barriers, Mm -hmm. the subject matter. And it was an assault on conventionality. This was their first exposure to Mel Brooks. And so I'm sure that they were it was shocking for its time when it came out. Right. And everybody was saying, ah, this movie, my gosh, it's in such bad taste. (laughs) And even the New York times said it's shoddy. It's gross and cruel, (laughs) but you know, um, Roger Ebert said, this is one of the funniest movies ever made. And on the AFI, the American film Institute, they ranked this as the 11th of the best comedies in history. Mm. And so for some people, it's uproariously funny, but for me, because if if you understand live theater or mm. the old school movie musicals of the nineteen forties and the right. Busby Berkeley musicals, right. you will enjoy this much more than other people. Yes, I think. Yes. If, if you if, so, I come from that sensibility, and yeah. I look at it, I go, "Oh my God, this is absolutely." <laughs> Um, that is so over the
0: top. <laughs> and see you saying that, so I, I'm I'm gonna out myself. Um, when I first saw it, because you you already know, and those of us all our great audience who's been following us, I'm not a huge musical fan. Um, so it wasn't. So yeah, y'all feel free to get me on our Facebook page. How Betty Davis saved my life. Um, feel free to get get me. When I first saw, like I said, it was twenty-something years ago. So I think I was either just getting out of college or in college or might have just gotten married or whatever. But um, it wasn't that funny to me. So I had seen so to to your point, to your point, I had seen Blazing Saddles first, and which was a, a riot. And 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 I'll get into why I think that was more funny to me. But no, I think what you just said is very poignant about the. People who have the theater background and Broadway had they could really appreciate it more. So yeah, continue your your uh your line of thought.
1: Well, you know, I I think one of the other things about this movie that really made it stand out was the fact that there was still not that much time elapsed between the audience at the time and their memories of World War II. Some people actually right. lived through it. And right. so when you see this movie, that's what makes it all the more shocking. Um, there's a famous comedian, Steve Allen, and he observed that there's a formula for comedy if you have tragedy plus time. And he said, with Mel Brooks, this was made less than 25 years after World War II ended. And making a movie with a very campy, you know, fur surrounded by a Nazi version of the Rockets was just so to them just outlandishly crazy Mm -hmm. and the two the lead characters max and leo they're jewish but you know Moy, I remember that when I was a kid, and I remember when Hogan's Heroes yes, was first being shown. Yes,
0: yes, yes. When
1: the TV Hogan's Heroes came out, some people took issue with it. They said, right. "How can you make a comedy about POWs in a Nazi prison camp or Stalag? I mean, how can mm-hmm. you do that?" But sure enough, I mean, it was pretty popular and it got a lot of laughs. So you you come at it looking at it this way, thinking. He really pulled off something here, right? They're it, possible. It, it, he pulled it off. Yeah, that's what I was thinking when I was
0: watching this movie. Because when, um, when was um Hogan's Heroes? This had to be around the same time Hogan's Heroes, right? When was the Hogan's Heroes? Later on or before? No, it, it well.
1: Let me think. It was the '60s. I know that let me, for I'll sure. Look it up but real it was real quick, pretty close to the same time. I don't know the it exact had to be
0: years. Really but, close. Let me look. It. Yeah,
1: it had to be close. Yeah.
0: Um, so yeah, okay. So Hogan's Heroes was first sixty five to seventy one. That is a really good run, and um, I know you said sixty eight earlier for the producers. IMDb has sixty seven, but you know anyway. Um, so that's so yeah. This so Hogan's Hero. They, if there, so let me ask you this: If there was no Hogan's Hero, would there be, have been a producers? Would it have been either successful or you know that's that's a good question.
1: Wow, that is a mind-blowing question. Wow, Moya, I never made that
0: connection. That's an, uh, wow, maybe not. Yeah, I think, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I don't think it would have happened because the people had already been softened towards, and I can't believe there's the words coming out of my mouth, softened towards Nazi death camps. You know, it had already been, so it already was out there so kudos to Mel Brooks, who we know had a TV background because he wrote for Get Smart and um you know, so he so kudos to him for taking that for the producers of uh, of Hogan's Hero and Mel Brooks being able to capitalize what great risk takers, you know.
1: Well, you know, this was his first film to make fun of Nazis, but this mm-hmm. was a repeating theme in just about every movie afterward. Yeah, because he said yes. if I got on my soapbox and I started criticize them, it wouldn't have the same effect right. as when you do comedy and you make fun of them. Right, then that really exposes how ridiculous and awful they were. Right, and, and I that's think- one of the reasons
0: why he did this. No, you're right. And then you cannot think about a game brilliant. That's why you know humor and um and being a real human being. And, and when you tackle these issues and st- instead of just, you know, like I said, getting on that soapbox and pounding like that, even though you, one could certainly, but you know, to your point, what he's saying is, cause now when you think of Nazis and you know, world war two, you cannot help, but think thanks to Mel Brooks and Hogan hero, Hogan's heroes about the clowning that he gives them, you know? So, perfect perfect perfect
1: well you know i also thought that this was a sly commentary about the lack of ethics in the business side of the hollywood movie industry Absolutely. and uh, so i thought he was kind of poking fun at them as well so i mean he's got some little things in here that make you think yeah. it's very thought-provoking and it makes you laugh mm-hmm. and um I I thought I would maybe at this point go into the plot of the movie. So if you haven't seen it, you'll know, I can set it up for you. Spoiler, spoiler. Um, Okay. I'll try not to. Um, Okay. So Zero Mostel plays Max Bialystok and he's a failing Broadway producer. And Gene Wilder plays this very timid, nervous (laughs) accountant and the, I understand why he got a, a, a nod for an Academy Award because he's hysterical and he's sweet. <laughs> and he's it's very, I, I thought, well, this is really interesting, you know? And so he plays his accountant named Leo Bloom. Okay, well, so they come up with a scheme and it's the ultimate caper that, about producing a big Broadway flop on purpose, and the reason they do this <laughs> is because when a Broadway show is a flop, the investors don't get their money back. So they try to find the most disastrous, the worst play, <laughs> the world's worst play possible ever written, and then they discover <laughs> this play called "Springtime for Hitler," a uh, a romp. A gay no, a gay romp with Adolph and Eva at Berkhutsk Garden. <laughs> it's like, That's oh the my name God. of it is
0: freaking unreal.
1: <laughs> it is. It is written by a crazy ex-Nazi. Oh my gosh!
0: <laughs> Kenneth played by so, Kenneth Mars, the great Kenneth Mars. If if those of you who grew up on Hannibal Bara cartoons, um, he did like almost every voice you know him mel blank and um so many others but yeah but those of you who are malcolm in the middle fans he was francis's german boss when francis went to work on the ranch so he's a man of a thousand voices and a thousand looks so that's kenneth mars who is i mean (laughs) it is it's you it's sad and funny at the same time it is so freaking crazy I did not know that, Moya. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. i diehard Malcolm in the Middle, one of the best co- uh, TV comedies ever.
1: I agree with you, Moya. I love, 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 love Malcolm in the Middle. Um, Well, okay. So, to make it even even more crazy, okay, to raise money for the play, <laughs> Max Bialystok, he romances these... Mm. Very, very, very old rich ladies. In fact, they're so old, they look like they're on the way to the cemetery.
0: And he's old. Well, not old, old, <laughs> but, you know. So, look, he's, what he's maybe like in his late 50s, 60s. And he, and these women, like you said, Jordan they ready for the graveyard.
1: <laughs> it's well, ridiculous. So, so, if the play it turns out to be a flop, then Max and Leo get rich. But mm-hmm. if it's a hit, they'll go to jail.
0: Yeah, they're cooking the books. They're cooking the books.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, they cook the books. So, you have to watch to find out. Do they end up in Rio or Sing Sing? (laughs) Well, the ending is hilarious.
0: (laughs) Oh, my gosh. And so, one of the old ladies, I got to... See, there's so many Easter eggs and cameos in here. Well, I don't know about Easter eggs, but jokes like so many, like jokes and, and cameos of your favorites. So, Estelle Winwood, who is a veteran of uh British comedy British films, she plays Hold Me Touch Me, one of them old, them dirty old ladies. You know, we talk about a dirty old man, when i them dirty, dirty old ladies who uh zero my style romances and gets money to finance to put up the money to even start. The horror show. He's hoping that will be springtime for Hitler. So in his home, it's hold. In hold, hold, hold me, touch me, and I'm like, hold you and touch you. Hold, hold you, hold you up, and touch down the nursing home and put you in there with your old self. You, I mean, just it's it was so funny, hilarious.
1: Well, you know, during the casting call, you know, for the The old wealthy ladies, they were asking for women for from the age of seventy to seventy five. But Estelle Winwood, she was eighty four when she did this
0: movie. Yes, yeah, she is so funny. (laughs) So, so you know, like you know, these people been gone a long time, but she is, you know, needs to always be in that list of great British film comedians. That dry British humor, I mean, just so funny. She's been in everything too. The
1: casting was so amazing in this movie. Uh I think that was one of the f- secrets to his formula in getting this movie in, 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 to be such a timeless classic yes. comedy. Um, you know, Dick Sean was also amazing. He plays kind of a... I forgot all about him when I saw this. (laughs) I I thought, oh my God, to play Hiller. They picked this guy. He's kind of like a 60s hippie flower child. And he's like old. He looks like he's like
0: almost middle age, like in his 30s. He's too damn old to be a hippie. (laughs) So, to me, he looked too old for that foolishness. But yeah, LSD. Lorenzo Say. Yeah, LSD, Yeah,
1: those were his initials. LSD, <laughs> and of course we can't forget Christopher Hewitt, who plays the gay director, oh transvestite, and he, he, you know I so... saw Mr. Belvedere, which is totally the opposite. This very uptight, yeah, you know, British butler type, and then you see him like this, and you're going, what?
0: Oh, so <laughs> funny, hen, and I'm gonna butcher his name, Andreas Vucinas, who plays his Carmen Gia, his uh his a uh, secretary, quote unquote. From the mo they 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 should have had their own movie, or or signed up the uh the musical, did more with their character and the, and and then the two thousand five whatever that was whatever year it was the the producers movie that was a flop. we'll hopefully we'll have time to talk about that. Um, yeah, girl, I was in here. So look, if you don't like gay stereotypes, blah 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 blah. blah you know, then don't look at it. You trigger. But um, but if you are a grown up, a mature, sane grown up who can take a joke, um, <clears throat> they were brilliant in this. And girl, when I, I want, you know, I got to call him Mr. Belvedere, but Christopher Hewitt, Roger Debris, when he, uh, look at the play on words, Debris, because he was, they <laughs> picked him because he's like the worst director in the history of Broadway. But when he comes out from behind, the screen i'm not spoiling anything when you, when you see him in headdress and you know now drag is everywhere blah blah, blah. girl that was so funny to me because <laughs> you knew something you know the joke is coming that's the brilliance of mel brooks and his writing and directing and the pacing and timing you knew something was coming from behind that screen but you weren't expecting it and girl i was i was dead I know. I like, right? cause he looks because he he's like almost got to be seven feet tall, and, and maybe he was taller with the he had heels on. But he just looked like a fool, and it, but it, but he just looked ridiculous, and it was so funny. Well,
1: you know, um, Mel Brooks was not very sensitive about people telling him that his movie was in bad taste, and he even commented to somebody, "No." it would have to be elevated even to be you're elevating my movie. If you call it bad taste, cause it's lower than that. And, right. but you know, one of the things that this movie, uh, it brought us is brand new phrases that we had never heard before. One of them is the phrase creative accounting. That was the oh, very really? first time that phrase was utter effort utter, uh, uh, ever uttered. Get then out. also there's another phrase. Yeah. Creative accounting and or like when you said moya cooked the books but anyway um and then the other phrase which was the very first time i was ever heard was if you've got it flaunt it no way yeah the first first time it was ever used yes and they said also there's a thing that
0: huh
1: i know my grandma used to say that. Maybe mm-hmm. if you got it, flaunt it. <laughs> but anyway, um, and then there's the first time they say, there's a scene where, um, you know, Dick Shawn's character, when he's playing, uh, you know, Hitler, mm-hmm. he gives somebody, I, I don't know, remember who the character is, but he gives somebody, instead of a, you know, a high five, because people would go like this, he does it high, like high above his head, a high five. This said, it's <laughs> very First time that was ever seen mm. or done a high five like that. So mm. yeah, this movie just broke all kinds of barriers and records and brought us new stuff.
0: Just a, It's just a genius uh, comedy film. Like I said, I did not find it that funny. And I was trying to figure out why I didn't find it that funny. And like I said, maybe I, I don't think I had the historical context back then. I'm pretty, I know I didn't. And, um, this sounds so silly, and I'm uh, I'm even wary, Uh, I mean, weary. no, wary, wary to say it, but because it didn't have, and, and, and movies don't have to have any black people in it, I mean, you know, put it whoever you want in your movie, as long as it's a good movie. I think back then, it seemed like it didn't have anything for me, let me just say that. I couldn't relate. But which is so silly, because, you know, before I even met you, knew you existed. Oh, um, I looked at like all those 30s and 40s, you know, because so I looked at movies, you know, without any black people in it. But I don't know. It just seemed like it wasn't for me. I don't know if that makes sense, Georgia.
1: It does. It does make sense. Okay. Yeah, because I think a lot of people would look at it and say, you know, this isn't really quite that funny to me in fact a lot of people share your sentiment Mm. but uh to me I look at it as just being so rule-breaking yeah and uh it it, it, and I can see at the time that it was made why it would have had people just shocked but kind of (laughs) nervously laughing and then laughing really hard like oh my god I'm not supposed to be laughing at this but it's funny I am you know that
0: kind of a reaction to it yeah, like, so when they first have the first run of the the the, the uh, production, and it is hilarious. The audience is like, everybody's mouth is gaped open. And I want to ask you, ask you this. The guy who, so there's like one guy who cheered, which is, that's hilarious within itself. Was that, um, what's his name from Get Smart? He looked like, um, I cannot think of his name. The guy who starred in Get Smart. He kind of looked like him. And I said, well, you know, Mel Brooks wrote that show. Him and, um, Buck Henry, I think. Um, <clears throat> say maybe the cameo, but I'm not sure about that. Maybe I'm wrong. But yeah, but yeah, you're right. Every so people who saw this, so was this a hit for Mel Brooks back then? It had mixed reviews originally. Oh, okay. Okay.
1: But it went on later. As it kind of caught fire, I guess you could say it did better. Okay, uh, but originally very mixed, uh, <laughs> so it was kind of like an acquired taste, maybe. But it mm-hmm. did it did way better after as it got because of the the buzz that it generated, and because people wanted to see something really kind of outrageous, mm-hmm. it caught on later.
0: Okay, yeah. So let's fast forward to um. And again, if you if you don't like back not bad, but if, if you don't like women being sexualized and exploited, you know, and if you don't like and, and I I don't give trigger warnings because like I said, grow up. Um, but I'm just letting you know if you don't think that's funny, because because again, like I said, with the heat of the night, this was the '60s. You had laughing, and um, it was on the cusp of the, the feminist movement and all that stuff. But you know if you don't like that kind of humor um, you know women being sexualized or something like that or, or, or World War II you don't find that funny this is not the movie for you I'm gonna be very honest with you don't don't look at it um but if you like a good laugh you don't take yourself seriously you don't take life seriously this is the perfect movie for you um and, and it's, it is smart. For as silly and ridiculous as it is, Georgia, it is very smart because it. I love Mel Brooks because he was a, like I said about Blazing Saddles that we did a couple of weeks ago. He was an equal opportunity offender. So you're right. He went at the business side, the smarty business side of uh producing. Uh, he he went he went after everybody. He went after how how these. Look, no one will say how the little old ladies, how women still want to think they got it and you like 105 years old. He, You know, he went... The gay community, you know, he went after them. and it, But it, it wasn't... I didn't find it vicious like with, with Blaze and Saddle. I didn't find it any of the racial humor. I didn't find it vicious or malicious. It was funny. It was humor. Um, And so I s- saw some of the comments online about and it was like, yeah, you know, stereotypes aside about gay people... You know, it, it was a funny film, but stare look. Let's be honest. Stereotypes. I don't care who they're about. Uh, generally speaking, they are rooted in truth. So you got to lighten up, man. It, it, it was funny. Um. So Georgia, fast forward to the film that came out in two thousand five or, or something like that. Do you know anything about that? Why was you know why why didn't really work? Um. I. I don't really know, but my guess is
1: that it just didn't quite capture that magic or the zeitgeist, you know, the time that it was made. Because by this point, you know, we were like, takes a lot. We don't get shocked as easily anymore. True, and and uh, it's kind of hard to capture that same um, level of of lunacy and groundbreaking. taste that it had at that point. Although I don't know, I don't want to take anything away from Nathan Lane and and what it was that uh, Matthew Broderick mm-hmm. in it. I don't want to take away anything for, from their performances, but it just didn't go over as big, cool. like you said, Moya, and, and I think, you know, that is often the case with remakes, and even with you take a movie and then you turn it into a play. That often happens. Even though it's still there, they did enjoy some popularity there for a while. But, I mean, they they certainly did. But that's why I chose this version because I figured this was really oh yeah definitely a lot of people consider it the best
0: oh yeah yeah And to your point, um, this the YouTube channel called Waiting in the Wings did a really good breakdown of why the film didn't work. And and you know that some of the stuff of what you said, <clears throat> and um, cause uh, you know as we know as the producers is legendary. Uh, I mean it was just a juggernaut on Broadway. Um, but just what you said, it did some of the material didn't translate as well on film. Trying to put those musical numbers, uh, they shot it just like they shot it on Broadway, and like you said, Georgia. Some sometimes unless you have a really skilled person, and not taking anything from the director. Um, who really control? You know, everybody just doesn't have that. The, the they're able to adjust and get the timing and pacing right. Um, Mel Brooks, even though he did not direct the Broadway productions, maybe he should have directed the the um the movie. So you know, there's a lot to be said. Cause yeah, it was it bombed. That I don't even think it made its money back, its production costs back, um, so I've never seen it, like I said, I'm not a musical person, and I love, obviously, we are a classic Hollywood channel, so I'm gonna go back to the original, because the original, as we know, like, just like the books and everything else, is usually better than a Hollywood production, so, um, that's, and you're right, that's why I want to go to this, um, Let's see. Uh we are just about out of time. Georgia, is there anything else you want to say about uh the producers? Where did you ca- where, where can a person see it?
1: You can see it for free on either Tubi or Pluto.
0: Okay. And I, I think it's not for free on um YouTube, but you can check IMDB or whoever you wanna check um to see it. But yeah, it's a hoot. It's, if you're a Mel Brooks fan, go and check it out. So Georgia, so you got me. So I mean, I got you with this one. You got me with the with. The, we got to do young. Is it Young Frankenstein? I've never seen that. I've seen like bits and pieces. <laughs> I've never seen it whole. So I gotta see that. Oh
1: my it. gosh, Moya. you've gotta see Young Frankenstein. Yes. Put that oh on our gosh. list.
0: We gotta do it. We gotta do it. So we'll, we you and I are even, as they say. We've uh, we've um. We've both seen stuff that the other person has has not seen. So, guys, we are working on our next movie. We're not gonna tell you what it is. It's a, it is a Betty Davis movie. I can tell you that is pre code. Um, I, I think so. <laughs> That's our goal. Um, or oh, maybe I should not say anything. I don't know, but but you know, it'll maybe it'll be a nice big surprise for everyone, and maybe a surprise for us as well. So guys, um, check out the producers, the 1967 version and check out the, um, the, the play. I think that might be online as well. There's several versions of it, you know, but if you want to check out the Nathan Lane and Matthew Broderick, I think that's on YouTube or something like that. Um, and of course the movie, please check out, check out the original first and then you can, in my opinion, I think go and compare and contrast and see the different performances. But, um. Yeah, man. Mel Brooks did it again. What a national treasure. I don't know who those are some pretty big shoes to fill. So I don't know who we could say who's who's giving us comedy like that. Now, see, everybody's got their panties in a bunch now. So I don't know if you can really do stuff like that um, right now. Like, you know, like the airplanes and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, those those were the days. Well, Georgia, anything else before we get on out of here? No, it's a wrap for me, Moya. All right. Well, you guys take care. Thank you so much for tuning in to How Betty Davis Saved My Life, Life Lessons from Classic Hollywood. We really appreciate you. I'm Moya.
1: And I'm Georgia.
0: You guys take care. Can't wait to see you next time.